Hello, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, episode number 19. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and in this episode, I'm talking to Clive Nolan from the band Arena, and also the band Pendragon, and also from many other bands and side projects. Clive was gracious with his time, really enjoyed talking to him. He has a couple of new things coming out, and he just put out a new box set with Oliver Wakeman. He and Oliver, son of Rick, have put out two albums in the past together, Jabberwocky and The Hound of the Baskervilles. They've packaged those two and reissued them along with some previously unreleased material, some of which was going to become a third Nolan and Wakeman album based on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So in this interview, Clive talks a little bit about that, how it came about, but he also informed me about a another project so new I didn't even know about it. Clive Nolan is releasing a, a solo album called Song of the Wildlands. It is based on Beowulf, and he wanted to make a Viking album because, uh, as he said, you know, nobody today, living today, knows what Viking music sounded like. So he took a stab at it, and I got to say, it's pretty good. It's got Christina Booth from Magenta as one of the vocalists, and uh, it's, it's something that I think any fan of Nolan and Wakeman's music will enjoy. He's also got a new Arena album in the works, and that's uh, being recorded. He's got a Pendragon tour coming up after uh, the start of the new year. Lots of stuff going on in Clive's world, including a new musical that he just finished. So let's get to that interview with Clive Nolan. I hope you enjoy it. I had a great time. And here we go. All right, welcome to Michael's Record Collection. On this episode, I'm very happy to have with me keyboardist Clive Nolan of many bands, Pendragon, Arena, Camera, um, Nolan and Wakeman. I mean, you're in everything, Clive. <laughs> well, not quite, but, uh, but I'm working on it. No, I mean, it's, it's nice to do lots of varied things. But actually, although you've said those all together in one sentence, that kind of represents a spread of time, quite a long time. Uh, you know, I can only ever do one thing at a time. So, uh, at, uh, you know, Pendragon and Arena are the two main operational bands. Uh, all the other things uh, would probably be classed as sort of projects, so they come mm. and go. Yeah. You've re-released two of your Nolan and Wakeman um, releases in part of a box set called uh, Tales by Gaslight. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that in uh, a bit, but I wanted to start out by just some basics. I always ask this, what was your first favorite song or your first favorite record? Well, I had a, uh, a fairly classical upbringing. So my childhood was full of classical music. Um, uh, of all sorts, and I, I, I loved opera. I loved anything that had uh, kind of drama about it like that. So that moved me into musicals as a child. My parents had a certain number of records and many of those were musicals. So I'd listen to those. But if you're talking about more going into the sort of rock world, I was pretty much not sheltered from it. Nobody made enough effort to stop me saying, <laughs> but basically I sort of discovered rock probably quite late on. I was, I changed schools and I was probably about 17 or something. And I decided, okay, it's time to kind of find out what this is all about. Uh, Cause I was obviously uh, childhood friends with Nick Barrett. So he was always talking about, I don't know, Slade and uh, David Bowie and whatever, but it, it kind of was all fairly meaningless to me. So I borrowed 20 pounds from a friend at school. And at the end of school, I went down into the town in Gloucester and I found the big record shop. In those days, they used to have them. And I just went through, and this is vinyl in those days as well. I, I just went through records. I had no idea what I was looking at. It could have been punk, could have been anything. So I just went through and I eventually found an album and I loved the cover. I, I bought the album, it was a double album, and I purely on the cover, I bought this album, and it, it just so happened it was Genesis Seconds Out. Nice. Um, so <clears throat> I bought that album and I put it on and I sort of sat, I think initially I was a little bit mystified by what I was listening to, and then it kind of grew on me. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, album-wise, that was the first album, and it had a big impact. Song-wise, I always remember latching on to Afterglow, actually, uh, and thinking, oh, yeah, I could, I, could sort of, I could see that. So, and then, you know, the whole Supper's Ready thing, I really enjoyed the, the, the kind of the journey that that took. So that was, my, that was my sort of process of discovery. And I didn't know it was called progressive rock. I just liked what they did. So my instinct was, hey, let's form a band and do this. So that's kind of where it started. 
keyboards was that a progression of like early piano lessons or, or was there something else that drew you in toward keyboards um well i mean there was always a piano in the house because my parents were piano teachers although as often the case as a child i although i had some piano lessons i kind of rebelled against the piano to some extent because my parents did it yeah. but there was always a piano in the house so i was always sort of tinkering playing on it anyway and I suppose probably every now and again, my mum or my dad would just lean over and say, just strip child, I wouldn't really notice. I'm not playing the piano, really. <laughs> so there was an element of that. But my main instruments were kind of violin and cello as, as I sort of started going to school and what have you. But when I decided, hey, let's form a band, when that moment happened, I remember I was sitting around a table with a group of friends and I knew one of the guys could play a bit of drums. And I knew one of the guys was just beginning to learn bass and there was another guy who could strum a guitar and it was that basic. And I thought, well, OK, I better do the keyboards then. It was almost just that's the free job. <laughs> um, so um, I, that, that was pretty much uh, what started me on that. Uh, I, I didn't really expect it to take me very far. I mean, it was just a bit of fun at that particular moment in school. Um, I, I wasn't sort of planning that I'd be playing keyboards, uh, you know, 40 years later or whatever. Uh, what was that first band called? The very first band was called Sleepwalker. Okay. And okay. it was definitely fitting into the progressive rock thing. It was also pretty abysmal um, <laughs> because really, uh, it, it, and, um, they, they couldn't really play very well. Uh, and uh, I remember the very first piece of music, because I, I, again, I say I came from a classical background so I, I remember saying oh, it's okay uh, on Monday I'll have a piece of music for us I'll write something and I literally I turned up with manuscript sheets I'd written this piece of music it was an instrumental he didn't have a signature <laughs> and I sort of said here we go guys and they all looked at me blankly because nobody read, read music <laughs> so I then had to sort of demonstrate on each instrument pretty much what the, and it was a really, you know, really simple piece it's called the traveler pretty much D minor and um uh, so we sort of learnt this piece. It was a it was a learning process for me. But yeah, I mean the band it wasn't great. We had a few moments. Uh, if we could if we could re-record some of the material that we did with with the facilities and you know the right musicians, I suspect it wouldn't be totally embarrassing. But if you were to ask to listen to some of the cassettes I've got hidden in the attic, uh, rather 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 than no, I think probably not <laughs> would be the answer. <laughs> Not going to be part of the the Clive Nolan uh, demo box set then. <laughs> well, I think they're more like the sort of audio version of Dorian Gray. I think I'll keep them in the attic and let them disintegrate. Um, no, I mean that you know it, I'm, I'm being a little unfair because it was it was a very good learning ground. Uh, you know, we we did learn, uh, but I don't think I don't think the band itself ever had a moment where it was particularly. Brilliant. We, so towards the end, maybe the last couple of years, I mean, we certainly did gigs, we certainly had audiences. And I was obviously very aware of Nick doing Pendragon. Mm -hmm. And 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 we started to become aware of this this, this new newfangled band called Marillion and what have you. And um, mm -hmm. uh, so then we became more aware of what we were supposed to be because Sleepwalker went through a few incarnations. The first one was at school. Then the next one I was at university. So it kind of did go up a level, but it, yeah, I mean, and it stays in history <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you jumped right to writing music though instead of just doing nothing but covers like a lot of bands do in the beginning never done covers never it was all to me it was always about writing to that that's the most important you know if you said to me would you go out and tour or write that i would write without hesitation would i be in the show or write it i'd write it that, that, that is the right the, the composition or whatever you want to call it the writing is is for me, by far the most important part of the, the whole operation for me. Mm -hmm. You brought up Pendragon and it's uh, it's an interesting time for Pendragon in that this is the 30th, this year is the 30th anniversary of the world album and the 20th anniversary of the not of this world album. And I want to start out with the world. What do you remember about the writing and recording sessions from that particular album? Well, the thing about Pendragon is it's a very different operation to most of the other bands and projects I'm involved with because it's mm -hmm. Nick Barrett's thing. Right. So he writes. So he, what do I remember about the writing of the album? Nothing whatsoever because I didn't <laughs> write it. Um, my, my involvement in any Pendragon album comes at a much later stage when Nick presents me with a, 
pretty much a fait accompli and then asked me to maybe adjust keyboard parts or perhaps write, you know, do a player lead uh, mm -hmm. or something like that, which is fine. I mean, I, one of the great enjoyments of, of, of uh, Pendragon is the fact that I'm, I'm a musician who's interpreting and performing uh, someone else's music very much so as you would do if you were going to play a Beethoven symphony as a violinist or something. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that, that's a very different discipline to what I would uh, expect to get for myself to play an arena, for example. So it's a, you know, that's why the two for me work together nicely because they're two very different sort of environments. Mm -hmm. So I don't, it's, I can't honestly tell you that I remember writing anything yeah. uh, with Pendragon. It's more to do with those later stages where Nick says, well, I've got some songs and hey, we need, what we need mm -hmm. is a, a sort of like a bit of a whittly lead here. And could we do anything with a string quartet there? And that, you know, or play the piano part and make it piano-y, you know, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. <laughs> That's a great line. Make it piano-y. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've seen obviously with some of the some of the DVDs, I've seen some of the Pendragon behind the scenes stuff. And you know how how involved does does Nick get? And these are Nick's con uh, compositions, but does he go to the keyboard and write keyboard parts, or does he you know write bass parts? Is he does is he that involved, or is he just come in with a sketch and, and and like you you mentioned you know say i i want something here i'm not really sure what no he's pretty thorough when he writes he mm -hmm. he sits there with his now particularly you know he's got his computer so he'll work out most of the keyboards for example because whether he can play them or not he can construct them and that's the important mm -hmm. thing he comes to me for some refinements later down the, the road like i said maybe perhaps replay the piano parts to kind of make it sort of fit a particular way or maybe some kind of fiddly lead or something like that but all the basic meat of of the keyboards he, he's perfectly able to do uh and obviously guitars he does vocals he does uh he'll very often make maybe he'll work the backing vocals out or he'll want certain things but maybe he'll get other people to record them um bass I'll be honest, I'm not 100% sure. I believe he sort of works out the basics of the bass, but I mean, Peter and uh, Nick have worked together even longer than I've worked with Nick. I mean, basically, they, 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 you know, they have a method, so that kind of works. Drums will be programmed, but um, there'll be enough freedom for the drummer to be the drummer, um, but there'll be enough guidance for the drummer to know what Nick wants from any particular song. So it's, it's reasonably thorough. Mm -hmm. kind of the same way that I do arena um you know when I put the stuff together you know there's not a great deal of doubt as to what's needed at any one point in the song but having said that it may well be that I'll say to John we need a lead guitar part here I'll like you know there's no point in me do you just go for it and sometimes because it's melodically relevant to the whole song I will actually sort of do it on a very bad fake sample lead so he's got a guide as to where we want the lead to go mm -hmm. just depends bit of a, a transitional album for Pendragon uh, it was this is where you really uh, the band really stepped into the the epic progressive 
centerpiece type song with Queen of Hearts. You guys still play at least parts of this when you play live. How much, how fulfilling is it for you as an artist when you are up there playing a song that's 30 years old and and it still gets a, a fresh rush of adrenaline from the crowd, uh, you know, re that kind of reaction? Well, there's two moments with old songs that are, are kind of interesting. I mean, the first one, uh, is we, we, with Pendragon, we haven't had many lineup changes. And when we do have them, it's usually the drummer. Um, that's just the, the, the thing we seem to do. That's our kind of Achilles heel. Uh, but every time a new drummer has joined, it's almost like we get a fresh surge of energy for older material. Uh, so when Joe took over from Fudge and, and then again, when Scott took over, we had a slightly sort of heavier approach to everything. Uh, and now Vinny. Um, and that's been good. So you get a kind of a freshness there. And then obviously, yes, I mean, there are some songs we've got. I mean, some ancient songs, like, for example, you go all the way back to like Black Knight. You know, I mean, this thing is I can't even begin to think how old it is. Hundreds of years old. Um, and we, in truth, probably hate rehearsing it, if we're, if we're being honest. But sometimes you'll go to perhaps a new country because we don't tend to play it normally on tour now. But if we go to another, like a new country for the first time, we will often play quite a, you know, a few bits of very old catalogue and we'll dig this thing out and we'll play it. And the reaction just makes you want to play it. You know, uh, it's very gratifying when you get that moment. We have the same thing with Arena and Solomon. Don't try. Solomon is our kind of ancient song that people just won't let us stop playing. We've tried to drop it from the set a few times. Seriously, you'd be amazed at the complaints we got. So we keep playing it and we hate rehearsing it. But suddenly when you have a, like a new audience or even an old audience who's just enthusiastic, suddenly they help to float this ship uh, instead of it sinking. And then it becomes a much more joyful thing to play. So, yeah. Well, as somebody who uh, didn't see you guys until you played Rosfest, uh, arena that is, I also saw Pendragon at Rosfest. The inclusion of Jericho and Solomon in the, the set list was very much appreciated by me. Uh, how much really do you as an artist think about that, that the, the one person who hasn't seen us yet is in the audience? And if we don't play this, there's there's pressure on us to put certain songs in the set list. How, how, how prevalent is that in your mind? Well... I kind of know Nick thinks the same way, but certainly with Arena, my, my thought process is we try and represent right across our history. Now, the more albums we do, the harder that gets, obviously, mm -hmm. because there's a limit. But we don't, we have never turned our back on any particular period of Arena's existence. We, you know, we haven't said, well, we don't do that anymore. We're moving on now. <laughs> we don't do that. Uh, and we're particularly aware that if we go to a new territory, we will always make an extra effort to, to play something that's a little older, uh, a little bit, maybe we'll play a few extra older tracks. Um, so, um, uh, well, you know, like a, the first time we came to America or, or whatever it happens to be. So we're, yeah, we're aware, <clears throat> we're aware that, that, you know, that a lot of the audience or some of the audience are going to want to hear these things and we've got no problem playing them. It's, it's not so enjoyable rehearsing them, but, <laughs> um, but we manage. When you look back at the world and uh, not of this world, you know, a couple of decades have gone by for each of these. How do they hold up for you? Well, I think they hold up fine. I mean, the thing is, if I'm being honest, and it, it, this applies to most projects I'm involved in, really, you know, you make the album and it's all about that album. Maybe you're going to go out and tour it uh, or what have you. And then the album goes onto the shelf. And in truth, 
I haven't listened to the World album for many years. But when Nick says, oh, we're going to play, what would you say, Queen of Hearts, didn't you? I mean, then mm. I'm going to dig out the album for the relevant tracks. So I don't really think about albums in that sense of how you would do as a listener, as a kind of like maybe a fan of, of, of the band and the albums. Mm -hmm. they, they, they're part of my sort of uh, uh, historical catalogue, at which point sometimes I'm dipping into them. I don't sit back and say, you know, today I'm going to listen to Masquerade Overture by Pendragon. It just doesn't happen. So I don't think of them in that sense. But, but I mean, I, sometimes I'll listen to some old material. And again, I, I use arena as an example because i've been recently trying to put together a set list and i'll sort of think wow that's that's actually pretty good you know so, so there is a there is a moment where sometimes you sort of appreciate something you did perhaps more than you did at the time yeah I, it's curious uh, i ask because you know as a fan we we look back at old albums very fondly but i could see that an artist might look back and say you know, I was I was not at the height of my powers yet, or you know, I, I feel like this isn't is a little simple, and and I and I've gone beyond this at this point. That kind of well, thing. I mean, certainly, you know, if we really thought about it, we're very aware of some of the technology that's changed. And I mean, I look back on some of my older albums, and I'm very aware that you know uh, how we put those albums together then, and how we what we can do now is vastly different. But I, I sort of. I kind of judge myself uh, or I judge what that stuff uh, not too harshly because I think, well, it was, you know, we did what we could at the time. We should be sort of proud of that. It wasn't like we ignored all this other technology. Yeah, most of it hadn't been invented or if it had, we couldn't afford it. Um, so I, you know, I, I, when I listen to stuff and I have to say that applies pretty much to anybody, I listen to the song more than the recording in a way mm -hmm. um you know as long as you can get past a certain point with it but i that so i don't i don't tend to have a problem with that so 2021 also marks the 10-year anniversary of the seventh degree of separation from arena the band took on a little bit of a new sound on that album with paul manzi on vocals and in fact i just i just spoke last week to the guy who stole paul manzi from arena uh andy scott from sweet you guys have a new vocalist now, Damian Wilson. Uh, he's obviously he's well known in progressive rock circles. How do you see his voice fitting into what Arena does best—that theatrical progressive rock? Well, I think it'll work really well. I mean, well, I know it works really well because I've recorded him for the new album. I mean, we didn't even lose uh, Paul to the suite because he was doing that at the same time as we were doing Arena. I just think that you know, there just comes a point sometimes where you're just not on the same path. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was all perfectly civilized, which is always good. But, you know, basically I could sense that Paul was sort of pulling away from what we were doing. Um, and that so I, I gave him the opportunity to leave uh, before we started work on this new album. Um, it's not that he actually said anything at that stage, but I just thought, well, there's no point in recording a new album and then leaving because then we've got to go out and tour it with another singer, etc. So, yeah. Um, it kind of worked out quite well from that point of view. Uh, and, and, and in a way, I think the pandemic helped us because it gave it gave us time to sort of deal with the issues and, and the sort of, you know, bringing in Damien. Um, I'm sure to some people it's like, wow, where did that come from? But I've known Damien for a long time. I, I can't even think how long, 25 years, maybe more. And uh, at various points in Arena's history, we've actually come very close to putting Damien in the band. And the reason that it hasn't happened in the past is because he's either been doing something prog, high pro, like uh, Threshold, mm -hmm. or, or we've, you know, or he's available and we're, we've got a singer. And it just hasn't, you know, that the stars haven't aligned until this time, uh, which was one of the reasons I thought, well, if since this does work now, uh, it's a good reason to do it. As far as the actual sound, well, I mean, Damien, fortunately is a very different singer to Paul uh, and that that's good because what I don't what I didn't want was someone to come in and try and be Paul Paul is great and he does what he does and Damien does what he does mm -hmm. as far as the actual kind of nature of the sound of the, the album I'm really pleased with how it's gone it definitely sounds very arena we've sort of gone backwards on some levels you know to sort of some of the old things we've done but mm -hmm. forwards on another level as well so it's, it's got a nice sort of blend of, of those elements i think um damien actually does help to give it that sort of prog thing because i think prog is all about well for me progressive rock is all about sort of um 
hills and valleys. You've got to have lots of variation. You don't just go powering in on one level and stay there. Right. Um, and Damien is able to do that. He can pull right back and you've got this very introspective moment. Then he can, you know, give it large and, uh, and you've got the big sort of rock sections as well. So, um, you know, he's recorded the vocals for the new album and I'm probably the only person who's heard them apart from Damien, but I'd, I'd say, yeah, he's done a good job. All right. I, I ask your forgiveness for my cheekiness. I was I was just being silly when I said that Andy Scott stole your singer. Um, well, no, I mean, uh, there's an element. I mean, obviously, Paul has to make choices as to what he concentrates on. But um, I actually don't think that was his reason for for um, <clears throat> departing with Arena. I suspect that he wanted to kind of go and try other things. And, and also he didn't. I mean, this may change, but he didn't enjoy being on a tour bus. He found that quite stressful and quite hard. And I, 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 I sort of, I, I understand that because I'm not a big fan of living on a tour bus for long periods of time. So I, I get that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that had something to do with it as well. Uh, Arena has been through a few singers. Do you, do you give any thought whatsoever when looking for the next singer, how well they'll be able to sing the past uh, catalog? Does that enter your mind? Yeah, it does. And it's got increasingly difficult as well, because when we, um, well, let me just think, well, obviously we had John Carson to start with and he was there for one album. Then we had Paul Wrightson. But as, um, and then we had Rob. And the Paul and Rob <clears throat> were quite similar in terms of range. Um, so the, the vocal lines that you're going to see for pretty much for the first, uh, up, to a, up to Immortal, can't remember Pepper's Ghost, I think. They're all of similar. So uh, John Carson or Rob or Paul could come and sing any of those and it would work. What happened was when Paul Manzi joined, we uh, because his range can go somewhat higher, we thought, excellent, up we go. So we sort of <laughs> did that and we, we, we pushed the range up to the top end of what Paul was doing, Paul Manzi was doing, which of course, literally means that if we were to go back to uh, Paul Wrightson or, or Rob, they wouldn't be able to sing some of the stuff because of that. But the problem, of course, we had is when Paul Manzi decided to go, we then had to find a singer who could get up to where Paul would get up sure. to. Sure, and no problem with Damien. Damien could exactly, do that. Exactly. Now, what we have to be careful is we don't go any higher with Damien and then find <laughs> when he goes, you know. Uh, not that he's going, but, uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, that was a, an issue. But, no, we are conscious. I mean, you know, I've said to Damien from the moment he joined, I said, learn Solomon and learn it well because people will judge you on that track alone the, the sort of the stalwart long-lasting fans and I you know I doubt he's even looked at it yet but I know he's aware of it so I'm looking forward to hearing that version for sure yeah. uh, how how do you Clive balance your time in Arena and Pendragon and these other side projects do you set aside certain periods of time and say this part of this year I'm doing Pendragon this part of this year I'm doing arena how does that work for you yeah absolutely just planning for well uh, I mean obviously the pandemic has changed uh, things recently but normally uh, the well it was a plan the, the, the plan like for 2020 was that I was on tour with Pendragon would have been March April into the top of May then there was a kind of a few festivals during the summer, but then gradually I was turning over to Arena, which was October, um, would have been rehearsing in September. Of course, that's all changed, but the same principle are happening next year. I mean, the, the real trick is to plan ahead. So I've got a range of dates, which I've agreed with Nick, and all he has to do is fill up as much or as little of that as he wants. And I've got a range of dates that I've kind of got arranged with Mick from arena and the same thing same basic principles mm -hmm. and then i go backwards a bit to allow for rehearsals uh, and then i go backwards even further to allow for learning and programming um and then in amongst all of that i try and fit all the kind of uh, song of the wild lands and uh, various projects and you know the, the one big problem i have with a normal year or the, the normal years is the biggest thing that takes a hit is the writing that's the thing I have the least amount of time for. So the pandemic has been 
on one very twisted level, a bit of a blessing for me because it's forced me to be here for like most part of a year and a half. And I've actually done an immense amount more writing than I've ever done in my life. Um, so um, hopefully that will stand me in good stead for the next few years. Yeah. Um, I imagine it gets even more complicated when you consider all the bands that John Mitchell is in having to, to work around yes, that schedule. As well. Absolutely. Yes. Cause we have to find, it's all about the graph, the, the pie charts almost. We have to find, John has to be available and I have to be available and we both have to not be doing the other things. So yeah, it does have, but the thing is that, you know, we plan normally, you know, a year ahead, pretty much. That's the sort of thing. And we did, I mean, we were supposed to be in tour in October this year. Uh, well, we, we may still be doing the UK gigs with arena, but then we were supposed to be on tour in October last year with arena. That was the original tour, which meant we would have had to bring the album out then and do the tour, but the whole lot got cancelled. But that was all booked pretty much a year before that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it's kind of, and the same thing with Pendragon, we, we planned quite a long way ahead. So to my knowledge, in all the years I've done both of these bands, there's never been a clash or a problem because of that, we, you know, we just plan ahead. That must be an interesting spreadsheet to look at. <laughs> it can be. Can be. My, my main stress is having enough time to prepare because yeah. people will say, well, hang on a minute, you, you know, you finish the Pendragon tour on the 1st of May and uh, you could surely you could be on tour with Arena on the 1st of uh, June. But somehow between the two, I've got to kind of recover from one, then do all the learning and the programming, then yeah. do the rehearsal. It, it, it takes longer than that. So, you know, sure. Let's talk about Tales by Gaslight. This is a, a three CD box set uh, came out in late April. It, it consists of a, a reissue of the 1999 Nolan and Wakeman uh, album Jabberwocky and the 2002 uh, Hound of the Baskervilles and a new a disc of new material that's called Dark Fables. It also includes a 16 page booklet and an art print for each of the three covers and there's a fourth art, art print that's signed for the first 250 box sets. Have you already gone through those box sets? Yes, I think I think so. Yeah. I remember yeah. signing them and I'm pretty <laughs> sure that they've run out. But yes, now we, we must have done because I know uh, I was told that the, the whole project had sort of broken even and everything. And I think we needed to shift more than 250. So yes, I, I'm pretty sure. Unless they kept a few back. <laughs> so Dark Fables was supposed to become... A musical interpretation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, or at least some of the material on Dark Fables, it was shelved due to a lack of funding by the record company. Is that accurate? Well, it was, yeah, yes, but it wasn't that the record company just, haha, we're not going to give you any money. It was just right. that we couldn't, at the time, the record company was Fairglass, which was basically Arena's label. Mm -hmm. So we were sort of doing it as a side project, but we simply didn't have the, uh, the, the, the facilities to have enough budget to be able to do justice to this album. So we just thought, well, it's probably easier to leave it to one side at the moment. Mm -hmm. I don't think we, at the time, I don't think Oliver or I expected that it wouldn't happen. I think it was just a delay, but of course it grew. <laughs> <laughs> what was the impetus behind this, uh, this box set release? Was it just discovering old material or was there something else involved with, with putting this out? Well, I think Oliver was getting help from a label uh, to, to, to sort of re-release some of his stuff. And then we just came into the horizon as far as that was concerned. He contacted me and said, hey, do you, do you fancy, you know, bringing this out? And uh, I said, well, yeah, absolutely. We don't, you know, it's not out at the moment. I do. I, it was one of the most common things I'd get from people contacting me. How do I get hold of a hand of the Baskervilles? And, it, you know, we... 
we stopped selling it, as in Verglas stopped selling it when we ran out of the last pressing, and that was some years ago. Um, so yeah, it was just it just seemed like a good time to do it. Simple as that. Got it. Your uh, your Frankenstein concept album it never fully emerged, but you you have I understand more than thirty minutes of unreleased material here on Dark Fables, uh, as well as some unused Hound of the Baskervilles material. What all is is on Dark Fables? What what can fans expect from the, that disc? For me, the stuff that interested me the most was the I mean yes, there's some off cuts, leftovers, and what have you from. Uh, the Jabberwocky or the Hound, but the, the most interesting thing was what we started to do for the Frankenstein thing. And we both searched around on discs and everything, and I found some old sequences. I had to kind of recreate them. So it's not the what you're listening to isn't something I did uh, 20 years ago. I had to kind of create them from the sequences I did 20 years ago, whenever mm. it was. Um, but uh, yeah, I like where it was going. It's it, to me, it's a shame that we never really got to make the proper album because I think it would have been probably the best of the three. But uh, it's it's that it's a very good insight into where we were headed with the Frankenstein project. And I think it's as simple as that. It's, there's a little bit of the story in there. You've got a flavour of the kind of songs that were going to be and the atmosphere that it was going to have. So yeah. How did you and Oliver cross paths initially, and, and how did you decide that you wanted to do something together? Now, Oliver was answering this question a while ago. I'm just trying to remember what he said. Apparently, he met Mick on a radio show, um, or he was helping the radio station. And Mick said, oh, you should talk to this uh, our keyboard player, Clive, because, you know, this might be interesting. And then I think Oliver contacted me. And then he, I think he came over and we sort of went down the pub and had a chat. And then by, by the time we sort of emerged, uh, I think we decided maybe we should try and do something, make you know, make some music, and and that's pretty much how it started. What interested you about these three particular pieces? They're obviously very classic: the the Carol po uh, poem, Jabberwocky, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes, and and of course Mary Shelley's iconic Frankenstein. What was it about these three particular? And were there any other ideas kicked around that never materialized? Yes, originally. After well, I mean, we like the idea of doing these kind of fables. So you see, you know, I mean, you know, Hound of the Baskervilles is a classic. It's got that gothic flavour. Even the Jabberwocky has that sort of thing as well. Uh, so we were looking for stuff like that. And I remember after we did Hound, the first thing we were thinking of doing was uh, the time machine. H.G. Uh, Wells, the time machine. Mm -hmm. And we, now what did we do? We, um, yeah, that's right. We, we, we got, we read the book. And we sort of decided in a way that the book wasn't half as exciting as the films, but nevertheless, we thought, well, we could do something. But it was still in copyright. It was still protected. So in the end, we decided it was, it, it, it was better to abandon that and move on. So that's, you know, we moved on to, to Frankenstein. Of me now. What I see in the mirror is a creature, not a man. The primitive gate and those restless, threatening hands. Oh, is this some drug induced fantasy? Oh, is this some hideous dream? So here I am. from the dead against nature's binding laws let me go is my only wish no one would choose to live choose to live Are there any particular challenges involved in writing songs with two keyboard players as, as accomplished as, and you, as you and Oliver are? Well, I suppose we speak the same language from that point of view, but uh, I think it just made an interesting combination. I mean, you often get guitarists working together and singers working together, but perhaps less so keyboard players. Um, so it made for a, a slightly more varied approach to the keyboards because we are very different styles. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that, that kind of automatically gave us a flavor from the moment we started working together, I think. How do you, how do you sort of keep it from becoming this, um, this whittly, whittly progressive uh, keyboard festival, you know, just nothing but soloing and, and... Well, I think we're both, we were both agreed that the song came first, uh, fortunately. Um, I have always been like that. I think Oliver was similarly thought thinking that way. So the song comes first. So it wasn't all about whopping great, yeah, keyboard dueling or anything like that. I mean, there's plenty of keyboard solos on there. Sure. Um, but uh, no, it was all about the song that came first. So I think that's what kept it kept it under control. How were the uh, the additional performers chosen as especially the vocalist you know was was one person in charge of something or or did you just talk it out and and invite people as you agreed on them um i think we were once we had most of the material written we just chatted about it and said well i know a guy who could do this i know a guy oh you know we sort of agreed in principle and then we just invited them to take part so i was working with tracy for example a singer that i worked with anyway so it made sense to you sir and uh tracy hitchings that is tracy hitchings yeah Yeah. and uh i think oliver had some connection with bob catley i can't remember how now but you know and and it would just it just worked that way you know Mm -hmm. tony fernandez for example drummer he'd he'd worked with rick waveman so there were certain you know just ways that we managed to contact and, and get these people involved was there anybody slated to do the frankenstein thing that you had in mind that that just kind of went nowhere because the it, we would the have asked show. yeah we would have asked bob to come back um i think beyond that no not that i can remember particularly but I, we would have asked a lot of the same people to come back but we would have brought some different people in what's the best place for fans to pick up this box set where it where you and oliver get a bigger cut of, of the money than buying it off of amazon or one of the big sites i don't know actually that's a good question i actually don't know the answer i mean um i think it, it's out on is it burning shed i think is the label okay. um i would imagine well yes yeah, so I, I i actually don't know the answer i mean a lot of products what i'll do is i'll buy a load and i'll sell them mm-hmm. through our shop so I'll, I'll be able to get them slightly cheaper and my money will be made out of whatever profit i can make from that point upwards Right. Um, I haven't done that. I did. I did ask. I haven't actually sorted that out yet. The best deal would be if I get a load and sell them through my shop. That's where I would see money uh, for both of us. Uh, I think uh, all the all the percentages are set, so it actually doesn't make much difference where. Okay. You see what I mean. So for me to make a couple of extra quid, you need to buy it from my shop. But I, unfortunately, I don't have it there at the moment. <laughs> we'll have to fix that. Um... So, Clive, what's next for for each of your your main bands? What's next for Pendragon? What's next for Arena? You mentioned you already had Damien in to record vocals. When can we expect new work and and maybe well, some live okay. shows? Back in January, I put together the Arena album. That's written. Uh, it's it's demoed, and now we've recorded. We're in, we're actually recording it at the moment. So drums are done, keyboards are done, lead vocals are done. So it's down to the guitars and trimmings. So that's mm-hmm. ongoing. The biggest project that I've done is this Songs of the Wildlands, which I suspect you may not necessarily be even overly aware of, which uh, we'll have to do something about. Yeah, sure. Tell me about this. Basically, I wanted to write a Viking album. Let's, let's call it a Viking album. <laughs> okay. Simplicity's sake. And uh, I was actually about to, well, I was actually mucking around with an idea that was intended to be on the next musical that I wrote. Uh, but it, it took a sort of Viking twist, and, and then that got me into the whole idea of the instruments, uh, you know, the sort of old instruments and whatever, and the sound. Because the wonderful thing about Viking music is we don't know what it sounds like, but we can interpret based upon some instruments and the kind of historical evidence. And I went online and sort of looked it up a little bit and found bands like Wadruna and uh, Danheim and whatever, and sort of how they dealt with it. And I thought, oh, that'd be great. So I wanted to do my own interpretation. I knew I'd make it slightly more cinematic, um, which is what I did do. Then I wanted to find the right story. And I thought, well, Beowulf uh, is the perfect story because it's an English poem. It's the oldest English written poem in existence, but it's about a Viking. So I'm not using any cultural appropriation, which is the the trendy accusation nowadays. 
so that's what I did. I went, went through the whole Beowulf saga. I found myself a medieval expert who was able to translate in and out of Anglo-Saxon. So I wanted the chorus to sing in Anglo-Saxon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the pandemic allowed me to do something which I never have done otherwise. I've got a 200 voice choir which I could never have done if we hadn't had the time. And I've done, and and that, it was very much an album of the pandemic because I managed to get most of the recording done virtually as well. So the woman who played the nickel harp, which is one of these sort of folk instruments or whatever, had her own recording facilities and guitarists and so on. So it was just stuff coming to me and then I was editing and collecting it all together. And I'm very proud of this because to me, this is probably the most unique album I've ever written. In other words, it's not like Arena, it's not like the musicals, it's not like Pendragon. It's, it's got its own sort of flavour, very much so. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and it's very epic. It's very epic. There's a lot of people involved. So it's like a little bit like, a, if I can be a bit classical for a minute, it's like a secular oratorio. You know, orchestra, choir, solo singers, and there is a narrator as well. It's the first time I've used a narrator since Hound of the Baskervilles, in fact. Um, so uh, it's a big story and there's a lot of big music in there and this will be out on the 1st of September and uh, I well of course I'm going to recommend it but uh, I do recommend it but I will try and make sure that you get a copy so you can know what, know what we're talking about yeah. I, I didn't yeah we need to make sure you do And do you envision a live performance of this? Yes. Uh, Hopefully there'll be a launch party type thing at the end of this year in Norway. But there is a plan to perform like a bigger version, like a full version of this Mm -hmm. uh, in a mead hall somewhere in northern Norway where they're building a whole Viking village. Nice. Uh, And the idea is to perform it there, which would be very exciting. And and film it, obviously. Yeah, I was going to, I'm glad you said that. I was going to just ask. Will we have a DVD from this or Blu-ray? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think something, you know, we, we'll probably film the hell out of it. And, you know, if we're going to do this, we'll, we'll make sure we, you know, yeah, absolutely. Great. That's awesome. So that's, yeah, so that'll be out uh, the arena we've done. I've literally this morning finished writing my new alchemy mu- musical, um, okay. which is called The Mortal Light. Um, that I finished... Um, well, like I say this morning, I've literally night and day I've been writing for four months. So they suddenly occurred to me, well, you know, we're in the pandemic. I've, I've done a load of other stuff and I kept putting this off. I wasn't happy with the story. So I kind of threw the story in the bin and rewrote it. And then then when I could I, I, I write best when I can visualize, when I can see something, I can write music. Mm-hmm. And um, and then literally the last four months I've been writing this and I finished it. Like I say, put the final dot uh this morning so i'm very happy with that i will spend a week or so listening to it checking maybe change a couple of things and then see what i can do to find money to be able to record it so if all goes well this will be out i don't know really middle of next year as a cd and we'll be looking to perform it live probably in the uk sometime at the beginning of the year after if we can manage it um we might do another like a, one of these big things where we have a, a weekend in the playhouse in Cheltenham and we'll literally do Alchemy, King's Ransom and The Mortal Light, all three of them in two days. Crazy. And I wish we hadn't said that. <laughs> but, but that's I think that is the sort of plan anyway. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. But uh, I don't think you're the kind of person that backs down from that. No. And then we got the Medici project, of course, Rise of the Medici, which is... Uh, uh, an, another project which I'm involved with a guy called Eric Bouillet and uh, Laura Piazza is a singer and um, 
I found, well, I basically got contacted by Eric quite early in the pandemic because I don't normally get involved in other people's projects like this, mm -hmm. but he, he made several magic offers. First of all, well, you've got time. And second of all, here's some money. I go, okay, I'm doing that. So we basically put together, it's almost like a combination of Renaissance meets heavy rock. Um, yeah. And uh, that will be out. It's a concept album, three or four singers involved, sort of guests and what have you. Uh, big sound, I think it'll end up with. I think maybe the end of this year or the very beginning of next year will be out. It's mostly recorded, but we're waiting. The pandemic is stopping us from doing a couple of things which we need to actually get together to do. So um, we're just going to sort of see how that goes. So you mentioned the Arena album. Is it a double? You mentioned a lot of writing. No, it's not a double. I, it's okay. funny, actually. I, I did say to Mick, we should, perhaps we should make this one a double since we've got the time, but... <laughs> I got voted down on that one, so don't blame me. Uh, no, it's a single album, although it's a fairly long single album. Uh, and there will probably be a uh, like a, one of these special packages, so there'll be a second disc. There's, there's definitely one song that we're not including in the, the main album, which will be on the spare disc, uh, which is a new song. But there are two songs that I think say the same thing. So I think one of them will sort of take off the main concept album and, uh, you know, keep to one side as a bit of bonus material. Uh, I, as far as the whatever, what else goes on that disc, I have no idea, but we'll see. <laughs> and when are you scheduled to, to get back with Nick on Pendragon stuff? Well, Pendragon are back out on tour um, next year in uh, April, April, May which means my March will be all about trying to learn all that material again. I'll be a headache, but anyway, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's what's coming up next year. And then later in the year, we'll be hopefully in October next year, we'll do the dates that we weren't able to do this year with, with arena. Right. Um, and is, are those UK? Are they Europe? Are they elsewhere? Well, at the moment, we've cancelled all the European dates and we're still hanging on to the UK dates. And we're just waiting to see how the country goes over the next few weeks or months. Mm -hmm. um, so we will certainly be looking to do the European dates next year. We may be still looking to do the UK ones again. I don't know yet. And is there anything on the horizon for Shadowland or, or Camora? Oh, just one other thing with Arena. The, one of the, because of that, what, I, what I'm thinking of doing, I've got to persuade the rest of the band, but what I'd like to do is like a, a gig for the rest of the world. So anything out of the UK, we do a special gig, we film it, stream it, and then we release the new album on the same day. So we're going to do this sort of gig, you know, then I, I, if, if I had my way, that would be about February next year. But anyway, we'll see. Okay. Uh, Shadowland, no, not really. I mean, I, I, Shadowland was always very personal record, uh, writing for me. And in many ways, some of that energy, like Strangers on the Train and Shadowland, has, has just been re-channeled. Some of it went into Arena, and I think the rest of it's gone into the musicals and things. So it, mm -hmm. it's sort of, you know, it, it's, it's not like I sit there and write a song that should be a Shadowland song. And, 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 you know, every now and again, something does crop up like that, but not, not recently. So, um, mm -hmm. no, not, there's no plans at the moment. Okay. Uh, any chance there will be another incarnation of Neo at any point? Don't know. Um, I, I, I guess there's no there's no reason for there not to be. But the difficulty with Neo is it takes quite a lot of organisation. Mm -hmm. And I'm not entirely sure any one person in that setup wants to be the person to do all that organisation. <laughs> if there was then uh, the, I, I suspect that most people who were involved would probably be happy to be involved again. Uh, it's just a question of whether whether someone would actually organize it or not. Yeah. Before I let you go, Clive, a couple more questions uh, uh, just about music. And, and one of them is, I know you've been doing a lot of writing. But I don't know how much actual listening you do. When, what was the last record you listened to? I've listened to quite a few Wardruna albums that's been my main listening for the last uh year uh Waldruna and Danheim so this whole Viking music thing and I you know I didn't just do it for research well I probably did do it to, for research to start with and then I mm -hmm. actually discovered that I actually enjoy it because it's so different it's it's not like the normal stuff what I don't tend to listen to is progressive rock because I'm doing it all the time or a lot of mm -hmm. the time so i got to be honest I don't tend to, to listen to it a great deal and if I was having a sort of good old 
I don't know, cooking session or something, you're more likely to hear the strains of Frank Sinatra than you would be of Genesis uh, in, in, in a situation like that, because I like stuff like that, really. Um, uh, and, and but but I don't listen a lot because I've been like for the last four months, I've even got some albums that people have sent me, uh, friends uh, that have sent me albums, you know, we've just brought this out and I haven't listened to them because I don't like listening to other stuff while I'm while I'm working on it because I don't want things to creep in, you know. Yeah. Um, so for four months I haven't listened to any other albums or anything because I've been every day I've been writing. Mm -hmm. um, now I've finished, I might, might treat myself and listen to something. There you go. Yeah. What uh, what format are you? Are you are you a vinyl guy? Are you still into CDs? What do you listen on? Well, to be perfectly honest, I'm, I'm a musician, which makes me the worst kind of creature when it comes to stuff like that. <laughs> I basically just got a shed load of MP3s in iTunes. Um, I mean, I'm not a vinyl person and I, I do have a lot of CDs, but over the last few years, I haven't even bothered to, uh, to get those unless people give them to me. Uh, I usually just if I, if there is an album I want, then I'll get it just down through iTunes, which mm -hmm. is not the way I'd recommend it for anyone buying our stuff. <laughs> incidentally, do what I say, not as I do. That would be the the thing. <laughs> do you, um, as an artist and, and as a, a very prolific artist who does a lot of different projects, do you do you curate your own catalog? Do you collect one of everything that you put out? Do you even care about that kind of stuff? I generally do um, try and make sure that I've got a copy of everything I've done. But I know for a fact that there's quite a few bits and pieces over the years that I don't have. They've got lost along the way or someone's borrowed one or I felt the need to send. Sometimes when I'm sending out merchandise and I run out, I'll send my own copy and then I never get around to getting another one. Um, I, I think I have a pretty good collection, but not not a perfect collection. Um, do I care about it? Yeah, I mean, I care about it from the point of view that it's nice to, to to feel that I've done what I've done, but it's not like I'm not like some kind of miser who goes in and throws the gold in the air and you know, <laughs> sort of, uh, you know, it, they're in, they're in, there are some shelves over there, and I, I know that they're there, but I, I'm I, I'm not overly aware of them particularly. Yeah. Okay. It's good to know that they exist, but right. I kind of got most of that in my head. Although I do, they, you know, I do. People often really say, hey, well, what about the da-da-da? And I'm thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's sometimes there are a few projects and things I've done which I've completely forgotten about. I have to be reminded. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Nolan and Wakeman song from your, your workings with Oliver? Uh, God, yes. Yes, I do. I would imagine Shadows of Fate is one of my favorites. Because uh, when I... I do house gigs which i do sometimes for fundraising purposes and whatever that's a good one to do for just piano and voice it's got a good sort of rhythm and it's it's you know it's sort of quite a sort of pokey number to play so i get a lot of enjoyment out of that one yeah yeah i think i heard the the live neo version of that before i actually heard the the wakeman the uh, nolan and wakeman version oh yeah yeah yeah, so, uh, yeah yes that's true we did it yeah uh, in there one step is all to find a solution to all of his faults or true if I can find the answers then I can find the courage to why do I feel so weak why can't I find my feet why does it seem so dark one step is all I need to find where I go from here conquer all those fears if I can find if I can find the courage to look into the night, I see the shadows of my fate as they shed no light at all. They just wait for me to trip and fall. Look into the night, I see that hope may come too late as it dwindles there and dies. No matter how I try to turn the tide of fear, history. What about the new the new material in this uh, the box set on the on Dark Fables? Is there any particular uh, track that you are, are you know that you favor above the others? 
I can't remember it well enough. I've sort of moved on since, so I can't. I, I, I've got to be honest. I'd have to listen to it myself. I didn't really have time to get particularly connected with any of it because we put it together when I was in the middle of writing something else. So again, it was one of those things. I sort of did what I needed to do and passed all that to Oliver, and he did what he needed to do. And there was a few solos he wanted on one of his bits, and vice versa. So I haven't really had time, and I will do at some point, but I haven't had time to sit, just sit back and say, I haven't listened to the disc as a disc. I've got it sitting up there, but I haven't sat down and, and actually listened to it. So I, I'd be lying if I was to try and uh, to try and come up with one for that. Well, I'm glad you haven't given that one away yet, so you can still listen to it at some point. No, I have. I've definitely got that. I shall add it to my incomplete collection. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh Clive, thank you so much for your time. You've been very generous with it. I appreciate that. Uh, just, I mean, basically anything you come out with is going to end up on these shelves, either the ones behind me or the ones on the other side that you can't see. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Pendragon fan, Arena fan, Nolan Wakeman. I mean, basically everything. And and I'm looking forward to this Viking thing that I didn't know about. And uh, I'm glad you told me about it. And I will, uh, I will, I will bug the PR staff about it. And uh, and tell, tell them that they didn't send that one to me. But, um, you know, thanks so much for your time. It's been great. Well, thank you. That's been great. Enjoyed it. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash michaelsrecordcollection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.